I have this orchid on my table where I pray every morning. And God's attention to detail leaves me in awe. And I sit there every morning, I sit down to pray and I just look at it. And I just pause to thank God for his creation. And like, I marvel that you would put so much attention into things that we pass right by. And, and, and so I try really hard and it's been super good for me um, because I had so much fear, so much insecurity, really such a traumatized soul. It's brought healing to me like nothing else to, to attach every good gift that comes from God to God. And by strengthening that father attachment, I'm just more confident than ever that he's gonna be the father that he promises he will be. Praise God for that. That was Susie Larson, and this is the Things About Podcast. Well, today's guest for a Things About Conversation is Susie Larson. Susie is a popular radio talk show host, national speaker, and best-selling author. She's the author of 17 books. Wow, I've written 12. 17's mind-blowing. She's also a veteran in the fitness field and has twice been voted for top 10 finalist for the John C. Maxwell Transformational Leadership Award. Susie and her husband live near Minneapolis, so they're chilly sometimes, with their three sons, three daughters-in-law, and two grandchildren. You can learn more about Susie at susielarson.com. Susie, welcome to the Things About Podcast. Jim, it's so great to be with you. I so appreciate your friendship. Me too. It's been fun over the last couple of years getting to know each other. Yeah, I got to be on your wonderful show and uh, twice now, and so I'm so glad that you're you're finally on ours yeah. on our podcast. That's great. Well, I have three of your books of your 17. I didn't know 17. That's amazing, and they're all excellent. You're just such a great communicator, such a great writer. But um, your beautiful purpose, fully alive, and most recently prevail. But I want to um, read a section from Fully Alive just as a way to get started, because I was, as I read through that book, I thought there's so many great lines, but here's, here's one I really loved. It's from page 55. I am not who I was. I am not what I do. I'm someone God loves and enjoys. On, I'm on my way to healing and wholeness. Miracles are possible for me. That's Susie Larson, Fully Alive. I love that. It's so positive. You know, one of the things I love about you, Susie, is you have such confidence in the goodness of God. And I, that just comes through every, every show that I've listened to you or you host and, and, and all of your books. I mean, I'm a little, you know, just starting out with a general question, but wh- where does that come from, your confidence in God, your, your positive faith? Hmm. Boy, that's a great question, Jim. Um, you know a little bit of my backstory, but I'll just, for the sake of listeners, if you don't mind, I'll just give a quick synopsis of, yeah. of my context. But grew up in a large family in a denomination where I knew that God was real. I mean, I really could sense his presence, but I did not know Jesus was accessible. And I had a couple of childhood traumas at the hands of teenage boys uh, that marked my life in a significant way. One was a sexual trauma, and I was about nine years old when that happened. And when I was 10 years old, I was walking home from school and jumped by a different group of teenage boys, and they beat me real bad. And I remember getting up from that place and, and hearing in my ear, not audibly, but it might as well have been, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And that really opened up a kind of a canyon of insecurity, of fear, of trauma, of course. 
And uh, I, at that point, knew the devil was real and I knew God was real. Um, I, I became a Christian and I was about eighth grade. And at that point, up until my young adult married years, you know, I knew I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. And we walked into some real uh, hardship in our early years of marriage uh, around me with two of our three sons, uh, high risk pregnancies, bed rest. And during my bed rest of one of those pregnancies, I was in bed for six months. I got up one day, doctor said I could give it a try and uh, met some girlfriends from college, went for a walk, had lunch. We're being so careful but I had to go back on bed rest that night. And within two weeks of that time, started experiencing neurological troubles. And, uh, but I still had three months to go in this pregnancy. And long story short, my one day up, I was unknowingly bit by the deer tick and contracted Lyme disease. And I heard it in my ear again, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And so that began an incredible journey, an incredible battle uh, to really contend with and for the promises of God. And I remember one day I was overcome by fear and anxiety because here I'm a young 20 something and neurological symptoms are so scary. It attacks your brain. I mean, I had numbing everywhere, dizziness, bone crushing headaches. I, my short-term memory was getting wiped out and I had three little boys to take care of. And then all the medical debt that uh, we were piling up because of me, and which was confronting so much of my fear and insecurity and instability. And I remember one day uh, just feeling like I would be swallowed alive by fear and insecurity. And we thought we may lose our house because of all this medical debt. So everything around me felt like it was shaking. And I remember the Lord just breaking through the storm one day, whispering to my heart, Susie, fear and faith are opposing forces. You have to turn your back on one to behold the other. And when are you going to believe this stuff? Are you a believer? just because you've secured your eternity? Or do you actually believe what you read in my word? When are you going to shift your way down to the promises to see if they hold? And that became a time for me when I started to really contend. I didn't have any kind of uh, you know evangelical upbringing. I had no understanding or idea really of how to navigate my way through scripture. At this point, we were going to church and I was busy serving in different ways. but So I knew things in my head, but I mean, truly the living, breathing word of God and promises that are yes and amen, I, I still didn't know that experientially. So when I started to contend and say, Lord, you know, this is what it says about you and it doesn't feel true to me, but I'm going to believe that it is true. And just one step at a time, shifting my weight onto the promises and the reality of God's word instead of what I felt, hmm. um, in due time, I really did find that the anchor holds and God is who he says he is. Mm. No, that's so good. I mean, it's, it's clear that, that it's, uh, your faith is born out of the experience. It's not just something, you know, in a textbook or a doctor. And it's like, this is real. Like you have walked through this and it just, it, it comes through so authentically. And I think that's one of the things that I so appreciate about you. It's not like you're just spouting this, you've lived it. And uh, mm -hmm. that's profound. Mm -hmm. Well, today I want to talk about um, your beautiful purpose. And the subtitle is Discovering and Enjoying What God Can Do Through You. It's a wonderful book. And I ask every author I have on the show the same question, which is, why did you write this book? Well, I love that question. I like to ask that on my radio show too, uh, Jim. That's a great question. Um, so bringing you back to that place of my story, um, you know, I come into marriage with such a passionate uh, 
passion for Jesus. And I was serving in all kinds of ways in my church and excited about things. And then my world got kind of upended and especially with this illness. So I remember sitting on my, or lying on my living room floor and I was wearing jeans with holes in the knees before that was a thing. I mean, <laughs> It was, it was actually cool. more trendy to, you know, look a little more put together. Maybe you started the trend. Who I knows? probably did. I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, uh, we were just, we didn't have any money. So I, but I'm on the floor with these tiny little, three little boys, all close in age. And my face is numb. Again, my short-term memory was not what it should be. And I went from, you know, having all this passion and excitement about my faith journey to just praying that I would live long enough to see my kids grow up. And so I, my expectancy had diminished significantly. Um, I, I knew God was real. I knew he was with me, but at this point I really didn't have any kind of hope for purpose or anything. I was just trying to get through the day because I was so sick and we were so broke and we had three boys who are parties waiting to happen, you know? And, um, I remember being on the floor and just watching my kids and praying for them. And, um, the phone rang and it was a woman from our church. And she uh, was a mighty woman of faith. And, and just for the record, you know, this happens when you're in a prolonged period of suffering or trial is you'll have some who draw near and serve and others who step back and judge because, mm. you know, they just they want so much to be able to figure it out or or apply a formula so it doesn't happen to them. And you can't mm. always explain away suffering. You just you can't. Right. And, but I heard the chatter on both sides of people feeling so sorry for us and others who were kind of like Job's friends and trying to tell us what our problem was. And so it was a kind of a dry, merry land. So when she called, she's a godly woman. She said, Susie, I've heard of the chatter. And she said, and I wanted to know for myself, what are you doing with this family, God? And so she said, I took your case before almighty God. I was listening at this point. And she said, Susie, the Lord showed me a platform that he's building with your pain that you'll speak from someday. So lean in and learn everything you can, because mm. you're going to have a story to tell. And I knew that was true all of a sudden. It was like a truth bomb broke through all of the ways that I'd lowered my expectations of God. You know, it's like you reduce your theology at times to your experience. And it's understandable when you've walked through the long valley, the shadow. But when you lose expectancy, when you lose sight of majesty, when you forget about the mystery, you are living beneath your spiritual privilege. That's just true. And that's what I was doing. And this isn't at all a name it, claim it theology. I pray you hear that. But I'm saying I, it's like the sky had dropped down on me and I had gotten through just kind of a get by mentality. And uh, there's a passage in scripture that talks in the Psalms, it talks about the Israelites refused to believe God's promise to love and care for them. They refused to believe it. So they stayed in their tents and grumbled and refused to obey the Lord. So they crawled into the smallness of their circumstance. They grumbled and it was like they refused to take God at his word. But when, when I got that call, I mean, literally, I don't know if you've ever had this where it's like it just quickened within me and I knew it was true. And up to this point, every morning when I would wake up, I would look in the mirror at my face because my face would get so numb that the doctor said, don't be surprised if you wake up with Bell's palsy someday, like your whole face drops. Well, when you're 20 something, that's unnerving, right? And so every morning I'd wake up, is this the day my face is going to drop? Well, after that, I would look in the mirror and I'd put my hand on my numb face and say, you will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. You know, I'd hold up my empty checkbook and say, my God will 
supply my needs and put my hands on my boys and say, you will be mighty in God someday. And I, for me, it was like, as I started to walk it out, I actually got sicker before I got better. I went through all kinds of you know, twists and turns and trials in the preparation process. And I took a lot of notes, Jim. And I also just interviewed anybody and everybody I could who'd went on to do something significant. And I found these common denominators of, of training grounds that God used in their lives and in my life. And I started to learn it's so important that we rightly interpret our battles. And I reference a, a William McDonald quote that he, he calls it training time for reigning time. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't understand and discern that God not only has a next place of promise for you, but he's using your current battles to train you, prepare you for it. You will get offended by God because of your trials, which will put you right under back under his discipline. So I think it's so important to rightly fear God, but also revere him and believe that he is who he says he is, and then get a vision for what are you preparing me for? How can I steward what I'm walking through right now for your glory, for the most honor, in a way that will most prepare me for the next thing that you have for me. Mm, it is so good. I just love your faith. I aspire to, to the faith that you, the perseverance that you have. I mean, that's such a, I mean, it's a fruit of the spirit. You know, you just, you, you've, you've demonstrated that throughout your life and, you know, you have another setback, but it doesn't deter you. I mean, that's just so amazing. And for listeners who don't know Susie, she has an amazing ministry and have, have had an amazing, not just 17 books, but I mean, the, the ministry you've had in radio, uh, the impact that you've had, the number of listeners, you don't want to brag probably, but you have like tons of listeners that, that are, you know, you've just, and, and your Facebook presence is so powerful too. I mean, can you share those numbers or is it just too, too prideful? You're like too humble to do that. Well, I don't know. That feels uncomfortable. I will share this though. <laughs> See, I should have looked it up. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I could have said it. So, just, Well, just to be clear, I was, I'm just going to be honest here on my face yesterday crying an ugly cry because I'm having another neurological flare and there's just days it gets old and it gets hard. And, Mm. um, so I'm in a, just an inflammatory surge for some reason. And it is amazing. I know you, you know, a little bit about brain science as well, but I study deeply about it because so much of my attack is in my brain and, um, how it affects me neurologically. Uh, but the idea, uh, that trauma and hardship hardwires into your system based on what you think about it, what you say about it and how you frame it. And I've just Mm. noticed that when I have these flares, I get triggered back to, oh, this is a long journey. So I I just want to say that to be completely honest. It was a rough day for me yesterday. I'm in a better Mm. place with it today. Um, But, you know, I I look forward to getting my new body. I'm not going to lie. I look forward (laughs) to it every day. (laughs) When these tents wear out, right? We're going to get a new one, as, as Paul said. Yeah. Well, Susie, before I, I get more into the book, I, I just do want to pause for a second to let listeners know about The Apprentice Gathering, because you you are going to be a speaker at this incredible gathering. We're having it uh, September 24th through the 26th, and we're having it this year. We postponed last year because of COVID, um, but it's it's late September, as it always is. This is the 10th anniversary, and we're doing it, and I'm so excited. People are starting to sign up. They're starting to have some confidence that we'll be able to meet in person. And I just really like that. But I just wanted to let people know that because you're going to be there. Scott McKnight's going to be there, who's been on our show. Um, Juanita Rasmus, who's been on our show. Michael Cusick, Emily Freeman, who's also been on this show, um, are going to be some of this, the main speakers. And the workshops are incredible. So I just want to plug that shamelessly and say, go to the website, apprenticeinstitute.org and check out um, the Apprentice Gathering. 
And I'm so glad that you agreed to, and you agreed a long time ago because we got postponed a year. So you agreed to be here by faith a long time ago, and and we're going to do it again this fall. So thank you, Susie, for coming. I'm so excited. And actually, I'm going to be talking. One of my sessions is on this message of purpose. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited for that as well. Okay. So I'm going to read a paragraph that I really loved. Uh, It's from the opening chapter. And this is from Your Beautiful Purpose. And you write this. Jesus created you with a very specific purpose in mind, to live the powerful, significant life assigned to you by God. Now, I got to pause there because that is powerful. I'm going to read it again um, so listeners hear this, because this is a word for you today. Here's what Susie wrote. Jesus created you with a very specific purpose in mind, to live the powerful, significant life assigned to you by God. Then you want to write, You must, with God at your side, confront the bullies of fear, insecurity, and inferiority. You must be gritty enough to walk by faith, be tenacious enough to grab hold of his promises and never let go, and be humble enough to admit that you need him every single hour. He beckons you toward a battle, but you stand on the winning side. Oh, I just love those. Those are some marching orders. That's exciting news. And then you add, no one and nothing can deter you from your calling. Only unbelief can. So that battle is within, right? That's the, that's, that's the challenge. That's what you've been talking about already. I think it's within and without. You know, I think we, are, we get in our own way with the stuff, uh, with the insecurities, the fears that we leave unchallenged within us. We have mm. to be ruthless with our insecurities, with the lies that uh, settle into our soul. And then the enemy, you know, he's had a long time to study us. And, you know, when you think about what I walked through as a child, I'm just, I bet every one of you could look back over your shoulder at your childhood and remember the first time you felt like you were not enough. And you can just know that the enemy's threat against you is very connected to your threat against him. Like he saw your potential before that you ever did. And this is why, and I really do believe this, Jim, that many, many Christians go through life knowing they're saved, but they don't know they're loved. And to me, that is first and foremost, because when you live loved and you live out of the love of God, and you really believe nothing can separate you, and you believe that you're not what you do, you're someone God loves, then you can go on to do things for his namesake that are disproportionate to who you are. It's one of the reasons I love that Ephesians 2.10 comes after 2.8 and 9. Mm-hmm. Because first we read, you know, by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves as a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one can boast. In fact, Paul talks in scripture, when you try to reconstruct a system where you earn your way and prove yourself, that's what it means to fall from grace. We, you know, we hear media talk about people who fall from grace, but an actual falling from grace is trying to earn your way. Right. Saved by grace. But then the very next verse, for we are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the wonderful things he planned for us long ago. You know, that's where that statement came that I am not what I do. I'm someone God loves. I'm not who I was because I'm covered by grace. I'm not what I do even. I'm someone he loves, but in being someone he loves, I want so much to be a part of his greater kingdom story. And I do believe that many Christians live and die and and never really fully lay hold of their purpose because of self-preservation or even self-ambition. They either get ahead of God and and produce Mm. plastic fruit that's not real, or they fall behind in self-preservation and fall out of step. And he still loves them. They're still saved, but this is really about influence. You know, how much uh, will you steward what God has entrusted to you? Mm. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I love it. And you, on page 31, you write this. I love this sentence. God created us with a purpose that he made before we were born, which is Ephesians 2.10, right? That's what it's mm-hmm. saying. But uh, unpack that a little bit. The idea, because I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking that some listener right now, who knows, maybe they're ironing or doing the laundry or driving somewhere, listening to this. I mean, what would you say to them to say, look, God created you with a purpose before you were even born? How do you, explain that a little bit for us. Well, I, if I had spent some time in Psalm 139 and look at uh, how intimately and intricately and wonderfully you were made. And the psalmist says, my soul knows it full well. I mean, do our souls really know how beautifully, fearfully, wonderfully made we are? And that he knows what we're going to say mm. before we say it. And that every single day we've ever lived has already been recorded in the book of life. And, you know, and I always say when I'm speaking on this topic, if you were to put 10 people on the stage, each of their unique God-given calls would be as unique as they are. Very, very specific path, you know. But there are several, there are four, I would say, um, markers for all of us that apply to all of us. And so for every single believer, the first and foremost part of our purpose is to be much with God, to walk intimately with him, to keep him your highest concern, your most cherished relationship. And I know you could say this as well, Jim, but I've been in radio for 15 years. And when I've seen leaders rise and fall over and over again, they will tell you, I got so busy doing for God, I forgot to walk with God. And they started to deprioritize their intimacy with God. And then they start to believe their own press or they got tired and start to make shortcuts. And and those are the kinds of things that make us fall. So first and foremost, always and forever, be much with God. The second Mm -hmm. thing is do the next thing he tells you to do. If you do what he tells you to do today, you'll get where you need to go tomorrow. And then third, give him access to your story, your inconsistencies, your character, you know, invite him in. Like Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know me. Because as he shows you things, the crooked ways that he wants to make straight, it takes humility and grit, as I wrote in the book, to lean into that and to say, have your way in me, because my status before you is not up for grabs, but you're transforming me into your likeness. And I do believe that there are many Christians who have a dream in their heart, And then they start to move forward and they see momentum and then they walk through that valley of preparation and then they leave their flesh intact and their dream back in the valley because they're not teachable. You know, they're not confrontable and we only can grow as much as we're willing to receive correction from God. And scripture says, you know, don't make light of it and don't shrug it off. You know, he disciplines those he loves, but you got to be humble enough to say, okay, this thing in me has to go that I can lay hold of more of you. So so give him access to your character and your story and give him full permission to correct and direct and do whatever he needs to do. And in that process, as you know, Jim, there'll be times where you're overlooked, times where you're humbled, times where you feel like you didn't get your fair share. What will you do with all of that? All of that is a test of our character and, and it really proves our readiness for him to entrust more to us. And then the fourth thing is if you dare, Ask him to do the impossible in and through you. I dare you, do the impossible in and through me, God. And I would say those four are to mark all of our lives, but from there, how we walk it out is as unique as we are. Mm. Oh, those are, they're, they're so fantastic. You know, and the second one reminds me of something Dallas Willard would often say, and that is, he put it this way, as Dallas only could, do the next thing you know to be right and expect God to bail you out. <laughs> I just I always love that one, you know. It's just that. like 
Yeah, because yeah, sometimes when you do the next thing you know to be right, it's, it's tough. Like, you know, when you have to tell the truth, when you have to, you know, stand up for what's right or whatever. There are times when doing the next thing you know to be right will be a challenge. And, and that, that's when Dallas says, then that's where you, you know, expect God to bail you out. He's, he gave you the call to do the next right thing. And, but those, all four of those are fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the chapter, Love Your Story, um, you write about the sin of comparison. And you write about that in several places throughout the book. You're so honest and vulnerable, which I really appreciate that. Um, and I think all of us relate to this struggle, right? We, we compare ourselves with other people. It steals our joy. Um, but, you know, this is something you've really thought about. What, what is the secret to getting free from that, that uh, temptation, that sin of comparison with other people? We keep our face uh, in Jesus' hands, and I don't mean that to sound cliche or simplistic because it just isn't. And as as you know, I did I wrote, I wrote about that in the book because I had health challenges. I knew I was called, but everything was harder for me. I felt like I had to army crawl where other people were sprinting, <laughs> and so I I feel like I'm the poster child for uh, what not to do when it comes to comparing because I just had I did I was jealous of other author speakers who just seemed like everything they touched turned to gold and they had their strength and they had help. And I had none of that stuff. And, um, and that's, I think that is such a large part what scripture talks about. Don't look to the left or right, you know, look, mark out a path for your feet and stay, put your gaze like Flint. And so for me, I remember one day feeling a little sorry for myself (laughs) and going, Lord, it just seems like everything, this one particular gal and, 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 and she seemed a little prideful about it, to be honest with you. And it was just like, I'm army crawling here. I know you called me to this, but nothing comes easy, Lord. What am I to do? You know? And the Lord whispered in my heart one day and said, do you think I put her in front of you? Like I'm dangling a carrot to make you feel less than you already feel. No, I'm showing you what is possible when you rise up in faith. In fact, you don't even know what her call costs her. So I want you to rise up and have her back and pray with her. Then I was just reminded, you know, when the disciples were jealous of somebody else who was doing kingdom work, you know, he says in so many words, pray for more workers. Don't be threatened by the few. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So pray for more workers. Don't be threatened by the few. And, and, and I just realized another thing the Lord whispered to me that day is besides when I start to give you more physical strength and you start to move ahead, you will also excite the jealousies of others and the measure you use will be used against you. So what do you want people to do? Do you want them to have your back or to stab you in the back? And not that I was stabbing her in the back, but I was jealous of her. And scripture though does say jealousy is basically the gateway sin to every other evil. It's no small thing. So when I saw it for the sin it was and what it could turn into if I let it take root of my soul, I repented right away, and I just started to pray like crazy for this gal, going, Lord, I don't have any idea what her call costs. Would you bless her and raise up more women just like her because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And the more that I did that, Jim, the more God's kingdom settled into my soul, and the more I just saw that pettiness as just what it was. That is not kingdom life. That's fleshly ambition. But when we step back and start to think of the reason we're doing this, not so we get to be used, but so the world will know 
wow, that's a whole different motivation. So that's what I mean when I talk about that there are just, we have to go through training times. Well, one of the things I've, I've identified is I've really immersed myself in this process that God leads us through is kind of three different stages. And the first one is a dream far off. And that's where your motivations are revealed. The second one is a dream up close where your fears are confronted. And the third is a dream realized where your faith is strengthened. And I'll just say this real quickly because I think it may help someone. When you finally awaken to the idea, because many still haven't awakened to the idea, but when you awaken to the idea, God wants to use me in a way that's totally disproportionate to who I am. Okay, Lord, I'm in. I believe you for it. He will bring some confirmation and you'll start to feel some momentum and you'll get excited, but then it'll stall out and slow down and you will start to be, you'll see the stuff that's in you surface from you, impatience, jealousy, comparison. And you're thinking, why are you using them? I'm ready. And he's like, you're not ready. And I always say he makes you wait because he's making you ready because it's not just gifting and skill. That's not enough. God wants the character. You know, they say that gifting may open the door, but character is what keeps it open. And I think often in the church, we way too often celebrate gifting at the expense of character. But if we really will stay in the pace of grace with God, he will take his sweet time with us because he knows what's in us that we can't even see what's in us. So that time in between, that time of delay is so critical and so necessary so he can extract from us the very stuff in our character that the enemy would love nothing more than to use against us later on. You know, it's not just enough to get to your next place of promise. God wants you to be able to fight your battles there, win your battles there so you can move on from there. So that's that first stage. Well, if you keep humbling yourself, you keep blessing others, you keep trusting God, eventually your toes will touch the edges of that next place of promise. And where before you were saying, I'm ready, I'm ready, God, what are you waiting for? And he's like, no, you're not ready. As soon as you get that close to your dream, fear will rise up and you'll think to yourself, I could really mess this up. I, I was just kidding about that whole purpose thing. <laughs> I, I don't want to do it. And this is where you're not ready. And God's like, no, now you're ready. And this is where you learn to confront the Goliaths in your life. And if you will continue to walk in faith and trust God more than you trust yourself, you will find your feet on that promised land. That's the dream realized. And that's just where, I mean, to use a fitness analogy, God will raise your threshold of what you're able to manage. You know, a person who wants to be a 10 runner who never runs has to start walking and then they add a little bit of running and they make sure they do some core strength and all those things. And in due time, their new normal allows them to run a 10K in exactly the same way. God trains us for battle and he prepares us to stand. And I'm quite sure, Jim, you would say, I couldn't stand where I'm standing now 10 years ago. I had to be prepared for this place. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be true with everybody I've ever talked to about this idea. So if we can just trust that we have a loving, invested father who's not going to send us out unprepared, we can trust his timing and then go in the pace that he sets for us. Mm, that's so good. That is so good. And you know, your story was such a powerful reminder of, um, you know, Dallas had so many quotes. Uh, but one time I, I got him to, to agree to speak to a group of pastors and he was so sweet and kind. He agreed to do it. It was during a conference and it was busy, but so I, there was like maybe 15 of these pastors and they were eager to hear what Dallas would say. And he just had this long pause. You know, he would do that as a teacher, which was weird because, you know, most, mostly we, we fill up words. Hmm. He let this long pause and everybody's just like, you know, EF Hutton were like leaning in, like, what's he going to say? And he said, I want you folks to know that the most important work you do in ministry 
and a long pause. And we're going, okay, what's it going to be? The most important work we do in ministry, and he said, is to pray for the success of the churches in your neighborhood. Mm. And I remember we just went, I went, that's kind of a letdown. Like, that's the most <laughs> important thing. The most, I thought he was going to say prayer life or invest in your family. I don't know. There's a million things I can think of. Before, it would be praying for the churches in your neighborhood, in your area, in your parish. And so I pushed him. I said, okay, Dallas, that sounds really cool, but why? And he said, because, and you almost said it identically, Susie. He said, because when you can pray for the other churches in your area, not out of you know envy or jealousy or comparison or whatever, when you can really pray for them, you're in sync with the kingdom of God. Come on. And when you're in sync with the kingdom of God, and that's, you just literally said that earlier. Hmm. And I, I thought, holy cow, that is, that, that is it. And, um, well, Jim, think about this. You know, the two motivations for building the Tower of Babel are these, to make a name for ourselves and to protect our interests. And those two motivations are very alive today in Christendom. And yet when they are, when you're about your territory, when you're about making a name for it's not the kingdom anymore. And the, I have a fear of God that there's going to be a day of account where those kinds of mighty movements may look splashy right now, but they will burn up. And uh, I do think we do need to return to a fear of God mm-hmm. and, and be concerned with not only what we do, but with why we do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And, you know, yeah, exactly. Paul was right. You were building with the things that are the hay and the stubble that will burn, you know, but it's it's only, that's what Dallas was getting at. And I think what you're saying too, it's, that's the real stuff of the kingdom um, is, is when you can go, you know what, that church down the road that they have twice as many members and they're flashy and doing these great things. But when you can really pray for them and say, we're on the same team, like we're, Amen. they're not my competitors. Like they, you know, I, I really want things to go well for them. That's when you've stepped into that, um, beautiful kingdom life, which is so wonderful. You know, one of the things I, 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 I love about you, Susie, and you've already done it just in our conversation today is that you're, you're confident to talk about spiritual warfare. And I think about C.S. Lewis, who said, we, we make the two mistakes when, when in regard to the enemy. One is to, to think too much and, you know, to give too much credit to the devil as if, you know, everything is, every bad thing is the devil jumping out of a bush, or we can think too little. Um, and I, what I appreciate about you is that you have a way of, of speaking about spiritual warfare as if, you know, look, this is real, um, but yet you're also not like afraid of it. Like you understand that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What, what have you learned how to, how to, about how to silence the enemy of our souls? Because you've done that, this story when you were, you know, a little girl, um, challenges throughout already on this discussion, you've mentioned it. Well, what have you learned about how to, to sort of speak back to the devil? Hmm. Well, first of all, if A.W. Tozer can talk back to the devil, I figured I could. He has a book that's under that title. But, you know, my, my, my couple of things here that for me have helped me to stand where I've really noticed I've gained ground and uh, in the walk of faith. One is rather than focusing on the works of the enemy to strengthen my attachment to the father, where, where, you know, not only am I purposeful about being grateful for the gifts in our lives, but I attach those to the goodness of God. And um, that's been such a powerful exercise for me. You know, it's one thing to count your blessings, and I think that's super important. But if you're just amassing blessings going, thank you for my car, thank you for my house, thank you for my, and you don't think anything more about it, it still is about you and all your stuff. But, you know, like I have this orchid on my table where I pray every morning, 
And the God's attention to detail leaves me in awe. And I sit there every morning, I sit down to pray and I just look at it. And I just pause to thank God for his creation. And like, I marvel that you would put so much attention into things that we pass right by. And, and, and so I try really hard and it's been super good for me um, because I had so much fear, so much insecurity, really such a traumatized soul. It's brought healing to me like nothing else to, to attach every good gift that comes from God to God. And by strengthening that father attachment, I'm just more confident than ever that he's going to be the father that he promises he will be. Praise God for that. And the other thing, though, is for me, because of rogue thoughts of fear, and I'm not fearless, I've come a long way, but I still have bouts of fear that just bum me out so bad. But, I, you know, I, studying the brain, science has said this, apart from faith, that especially with people who have rogue thoughts that seem to take them right into the ditch, the one thing that can overpower a rogue thought pattern is the spoken word. I read that in a scientific, non-faith-based report. Well, for me, I will tell you, I learned that early on because I would, when my fears would start to go ahead going, what if I die? And worse yet, what if I live and my husband has to be married to someone who's a lemon, who's barely functioning. And then he's got to take care of three little kids and a you know, load of a wife, you know, <laughs> those are the kind of, then we're going to lose our house. And I mean, what if, what if, what if I, I couldn't stop because we were getting bill collector calls. We were getting notices. If we don't make the next payment, we're out. I mean, those were real fears for me, but it was when I stood up and said, you know, and the Lord said to me one day, you know, what? I gave you authority, Luke 10, 19. So take it. So finally, I rose up and said, I take authority over this fear and this anxiety, and I put it under my feet. In the name of Jesus, Satan, you shut up. You, I forbid you to speak to me another moment. And Lord, I'm turning my eyes to you, and I'm trusting that you are my provider like you said you would. You know, Bible says faith comes from hearing, and for me, that is the way I've had to do it. First and foremost, keeping my just connection with God so strong and just where I'm constantly renewing my mind in the goodness of God. And then when I don't let that stuff go for very long. When I'm getting harassed, I stand up. That's why we got our armor and I, I tell it what's what. So for me, those are the things that have really helped me, but praying out loud and praying the scriptures, those kinds of things are really huge. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jesus did it right in the temptation. He, he quoted Deuteronomy to the devil a few times, right? He, he knew that he knew the truth and spoke the truth back to all three of those temptations. So that's absolutely right. You know, I'm so glad that you wanted to talk about your beautiful purpose of, well, you know, you have so many books we could have talked about, but I'm really glad too, especially, and I want to end with this question with, to get your thoughts. The pandemic has made a lot of us rethink our lives, think about our purpose, what are we here for? what really matters, what doesn't matter. You know, I, I think everybody has been forced to stop and think a lot, N not just through death and loss, which always wakes us up, but um, just, you know, overall, um, what would you say, because you wrote the book before the pandemic, uh, what thoughts do you have now in sort of seeing the way we think about our purpose and what our life is supposed to be about in light of that? Like, what are, what are some of Susie's thoughts at this time? Wow, that's a really great question. I mean, I, I think the book's 10 years old, if I remember right. I know I, I felt the nudge when you asked me which book. For some reason, I thought this is the one we need to talk about today. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, know, you did. I really do. I believe, you know, I hear a lot of people saying I want to go back to before COVID. But the thing is, 
when when life shakes, you see what's in you. And I think we've been able to see the state of the church. I think we've been able to see the state of us as human beings. And in times of plenty and times of favor and uh, wealth and all those kinds of things, you can get away with a lot and cover up a lot. But when things get shaken, what cannot be shaken can be clearly seen. So in some ways, what this enemy meant for evil, God is using for good because he's showing us the state of the church and the state of our hearts. And many people who were hiding in their busyness and stuffing their wounds, their traumas, their you know self-limiting, God-limiting beliefs into the basement of their soul were forced to reckon with those during 2020. And what I really believe with all my heart is that if there's ever a time to be thinking about your God-given purpose, it is right now, because there's a world right now that has been traumatized by all of that's gone on with the social unrest, with the pandemic, with so, the uh, election, you know, tensions, everything. And we need to be in a position to be able to minister life and hope to a world in need. And prior to this, I mean, like four years ago, I think it was maybe five, Barna did a, uh, issued a report that said there's almost no difference between Christians, hangups and habits and unbelievers habits as far as on paper, like our default responses to anxiety and fear are exactly the same. And this is a time, I think, to lean in to say, Lord, I want, I'm done stuffing this stuff in the basement. Bring it up, heal me, restore me, redeem me, and then mobilize me. Because we have to be ready for the great harvest that I believe is to come. And I heard recently that as wonderful as the Welsh revival was, I mean, people were coming in repentance. There are guys sitting at a bar and suddenly feeling this insatiable desire to get to their local church and repent. I mean, God moved. But what I'd heard was that it was the, re what, the reason it fizzled was because the actual existing body of believers weren't mature enough to handle the harvest. They, you know, because it takes a measure of unselfishness. It takes a measure of maturity. And if that's true, that's fascinating to me. And so here's an opportunity for us to grow up into all things of God, to really seek him, to say, heal my soul, make me whole. And if you're in that place, I will say fully alive is all about inner healing and believing God to restore mm -hmm. those deep places in you so that we can be ready for the harvest that I believe is to come. Amen. That is so well said. Wow, I, I'm going to have to listen back to that answer a few times because you said so much for me to really think on. And, and I, I just appreciate that. We have been shaken, haven't we? And, yeah. and it, it does, it revealed some, some junk that we maybe didn't know was there, but it also made us stop and think, what really matters? Like, what is the thing that is most important now? I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of good will come from this, both in the church and in our individual lives and in the world, I hope. I, I'm I'm confident of that. Well, I do want to remind everyone again, Susie's going to be with me in September here in Wichita at Friends University for the Apprentice Gathering. Um, it's the 10th anniversary and people are signing up. We're just, the energy is ramping up. We're so excited. Susie, I'm glad you're going to be here. Scott McKnight, Emily Freeman, Juanita Rasmus, Michael Cusick. Um, so many great workshops too. So So go to the website, check it out. It's going to be a conference to help people learn to more deeply understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I know a lot of people are excited to get back together, you know, to be in present together. I know I am. I'm excited to, to, to get in front of that group of people and see, because people come from all around the country who are apprentices of Jesus, who want to walk in, in discipleship and learn about formation. And it's just a beautiful thing every year it has been. And I'm excited that you're going to be here, Susie. So thank you again for being willing to be here and for uh, the words you're going to give us. 
Well, you're a dear brother. Appreciate serving with you so much. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. It's been great. I hope you enjoyed this Things Above conversation with Susie Larson. She is fantastic. I'm so glad she's going to be at the Apprentice Gathering and just check out her books. Your Beautiful Purpose is a fantastic book. I hope you'll join me next week for episode 106. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at ApprenticeInstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you are asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above. <laughs>